God bless you. Yes, likewise, good to see you. I've been watching it on live on the live stream as well for all of you that are tuned in. And this series is being wrapped up. The fear not. We really decided to uh, uh, focus on the issue of fear because there really seems to be a spirit of fear that has been poured out on the earth, and 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 and, and people are, are fearful of different things. Uh, but the truth of God's word applies to every form of fear. And we uh, covered some things, some truths that empower us to stand up, to live without fear. And the first one was God is with us. God is present, so we need not fear. And the second was the enemy is defeated, uh, so we need not fear. And It's not the end of the story. How many are grateful for that? Uh, so we need not fear because uh, we don't know the end of the story, but God knows the end of the story. And God is omnipotent. That's what we talked about last week, and that he is all-powerful, so we need not fear. And today, we're going to be talking about fear not, live steadfastly. So this is a little different. This is our response of faith in the face of fear, and it's living steadfastly. So what is steadfastness? The Old Testament word... <clears throat> For steadfast means to be established, to be fixed, to be prepared, to render sure, uh, to be proper and faithful. It's really good stuff, right? And we see it in many, many places, but Psalm 5110, uh, David's prayer of repentance after his um, sinfulness and uh, the, the prophet confronted him. And we all are familiar with this amazing verse where he's crying out in repentance. And he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so that's that fixed spirit, that prepared spirit, that established spirit, that proper and faithful spirit that was uh, uh, renewed in David when he went to the Lord in prayer. The New Testament word in the Greek, same idea, a little bit of different nuance, means immovable, settled, stable, firm, stiff. <laughs> kind of like that stiff. Solid. And what I really like is it's, it's strong. Someone who's steadfast is strong. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as Paul is exhor- exhorting the church in Corinth. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And the opposite, so that's what those words mean in in both the New and Old Testament. Sometimes it's helpful to understand an idea by looking at the antonyms, the opposites of of the word steadfast. So I pulled it up. And the opposite of being steadfast is being disloyal, unfaithful, untrustworthy, subversive, double-minded, two-faced, indecisive, tentative, nervous, weak, vacillating. That means going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and ambivalent. So a godly person, as Christ followers, we are to be steadfast. And this is clearly seen when you look at the opposite traits, which are are not Christ-like. And those opposite traits uh, 
are, at best are unfruitful, but uh, at worst are sinful and destructive. I mean, to be disloyal or unfaithful, I mean, these are really strong terms. And realize that steadfastness is the opposite character trait of all of those negative things. And we're called to live a life of being steadfast. Being steadfast certainly is influenced in some degree by our personalities. Some people are just uh, more strong in their personality or more forthright. But, you know, personalities are funny things. And uh, we need to realize that, uh, 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 you know, it's good to um, develop your personality and lean into your personality. But sometimes just being a confident you come across confidently doesn't necessarily mean you're steadfast inwardly, all right? Sometimes the, the, those personality traits can just help you fake it. But in, in God, you know, when, uh, 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 when uh, what's his name? David cried out for a renewal of his steadfast spirit, that was an inner character quality that he wanted to live with. And so, being steadfast and what the Bible is calling us to live in is something far more than something we're born with. It's, it's beyond that. And so exploring, what, well, what is steadfast? In Psalm 51, we see that it's a gift. Uh, David asked God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so it's something that we can ask God for. And if you struggle in this area, Ask, ask God, pray that prayer. If you're facing a difficulty, ask God for steadfastness and he will give it to you. Uh, in Galatians 5.22, the, the popular verse on the fruit of the Spirit, says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's steadfastness, right? That's endearing through difficulty without changing. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Actually, both faithfulness and self-control can fit into the uh, definition or uh, their synonyms of the idea of steadfastness. And so really, it's one of the primary fruits of the Spirit. Okay, and if steadfastness is a fruit of the Spirit, that means it's not just something you produce out of your own strength, okay, out of your own resources. It's something that is a Fruit of the Holy Spirit. It just happens. Okay, fruit trees. I grew up, we had an orchard. It was, uh, it was great living uh, in a place where I could walk out my back door, especially this time of year, and just pick fruit off the tree. And man, if you've never eaten fruit right off a tree, it's totally different than, root, than fruit that's been bagged and shipped across the country, the world, and is weeks, months old. It's fresh, and there's a there's a taste to it. And so the trees produce fruit just by the, the, the nature of their existence. It's just who they were. Right? And the fruit of the Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit will produce that fruit. If you just ask and allow the Holy Spirit to dwell within you and allow the Holy Spirit to produce that fruit through you. Does this make sense? And that's not something you have to strive to accomplish. It's something that grows as you allow the Holy Spirit to live in you. But in 1 Corinthians 15, the other verse we read, it's not a gift, it's not a fruit, it's a command. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. So when we respond, when we choose to respond uh, to the command of God and behave based on God's word and his nature, rather than on our own feelings, you know, that you can feel afraid or you can feel overwhelmed, but when you choose to respond to our circumstances out of that steadfast spirit, then you step into living a life of faith. And that was just a real short video, I think it's about three and a half minutes long, about a man who lived uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to the Burmese during the 19th century. His life was devoted to the translation of the Bible into Burmese and the salvation of the people there. Health, loss, spiritual darkness, and imprisonment were just a few forms of opposition Judson faced for the extent of his ministry, which spanned nearly 36 years. Judson was married three times, having lost his first two wives to illness. Seven of his 13 children died before reaching early childhood, and he himself eventually developed a lung disease that would lead to his death. Not only did Judson suffer physical pain and loss in the sharing of the gospel, he suffered imprisonment during the Anglo-Burmese War. For 17 months, Judson was bound by iron and fed very little, sometimes being suspended by his feet. As terrible as his imprisonment was, the worst opposition came upon his release when his father, wife, and child died, leaving him alone and doubting his motives for missionary work. Judson retreated from the world and utilized self-denial and isolation as his means of survival. After a 40-day stint alone in the jungle, he wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Adoniram Judson had picked up his cross to follow his savior and found himself suffering alone in the jungles of Burma. The news of his brother's passing, a brother whom he believed had found faith before his death, began his immersion from the darkness. It was during the year following this great darkness that the spiritual efforts in Burma began to take root. Had he given up, he would have missed the fruit of the following years on the mission field. And today, his faithfulness continues to bear fruit as nearly 3,700 congregations in Burma trace their heritage back to this one missionary who stood firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a powerful testimony of a man of God who uh, chose to be steadfast, and it took uh, years for him to see the fruit of that steadfastness. And um, you may not know this, but we had a young woman that was part of our church, uh, actually moved to Burma, it's now called Myanmar, and served for quite a few years as a missionary. And um, as a result of her serving there, we had a pastor come and share hear uh, of his ministry in his church. And so we've actually had someone that was pastoring a church that's part of the fruit of that man's labor share here in our church. It's that connectedness of the church worldwide, the, the fruit of a one person, person being steadfast in the midst of severe persecution and opposition and trials is so powerful literally can change the world. 
And if that man can do it, you can do it too. You're called to a mission field and your steadfastness, you may not see the fruit. He died without seeing the, the incredible fruit of his missionary work. And you may not see the fruit of your faithfulness, but you need to be faithful. You need to be steadfast. You need to be unyielding because God has called you into that and you will bear much fruit Oops, if you do that. We're going to go on and, and look at this passage and then kind of talk through it as an application for how to live steadfast. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 5 through 11. Peter says, uh, writing to the church, and, and Peter is writing to the church that had been scattered throughout uh, that whole part of the world as a result of persecution and hardship. And so they had to literally flee their homes and uh, go to other cities, other nations to uh, avoid the persecution. So he's writing to these churches dispersed. He says, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may desire. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after <coughs> you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, establish there is the word steadfast, strengthen and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Great passage. From that passage, we're going we're gonna, to uh, look at four commands that, that call us to demonstrate a life and, and live a life of being steadfast. And the first one is be submissive and clothed with humility. That's how Peter starts out that passage that leads up to being a, a, a steadfast in the faith. Strength does not equal arrogance. Right? Uh, being arrogant comes across as being strong, but often arrogance is a, a, a masquerade for fearfulness. Often people that, you know, get in your face, it's because they're not, they don't have peace, they're not settled, they're not confident, they're not steadfast. They're reacting either emotionally or or out of fear. Jesus demonstrated, was there anyone more full of strength and confidence than our Lord Jesus Christ? No. Yeah. And he demonstrated that strength by dying to himself. And he said, follow me. That's what he meant when he said, carry a cross. It means die to yourself. Follow his example as being the one that was omnipotent, as he told his disciples, he could call down an army of angels if he wanted to, but he chose instead the lower path, the path of humility, dying to himself. And according to this verse, that when we're humble, it puts us under the mighty hand of God. So let me ask you, would you rather be 
standing behind your, the might of your hand? Or would you rather be under the mighty hand of the omnipotent God? All right? So humility places us there. And that's the difference between being, being angry and being in somebody's face or, you know, standing up to, uh, to others versus being humble and being uh, a submissive and coming under the might of God's hand. Listen, when you're humble, you're never victims or powerless. That's not what humility means, all right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're powerless. Rather, it means coming under the greater power of the omnipotent God and being empowered by him in your, your humility. And so it's positioning yourself to access the unlimited strength and might of God Almighty. To be steadfast absolutely requires an inner commitment and a stance of humility. Right, and that's how you, that's that's how Christ followers stand up to evil, the way Jesus did by being humble. <clears throat> Command number two: It says, "Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you." Uh, a, a commentator that I really uh, appreciate. He uh, wrote um, in the seventeen uh, hundreds, uh, late seventeen hundreds, early eighteen hundreds. Uh, Clark, Adam Clark says, whatever things, listen to this, I love this, whatever things concern a follower of God, whether they be spiritual or temporal, or whether in themselves be great or small, God concerns himself with them. Listen, what affects them affects him. And all their afflictions God is afflicted. Wow, that applies to you and I. What affects you, even if it's temporary things, a flat tire, a car that won't start, you know, uh, uh, a bad day at work. Uh, You go to make a sandwich and the bread is moldy. And there's no electricity. It affects you. You think God doesn't care? God cares. What affects you affects him. Even those little things, it affects him. And when we're afflicted, he afflicted. He took our afflictions upon him. He goes on and says, He who knows that God cares him need have no anxious cares about himself. All right, that we, that, that, that's what that verse means, that we cast our cares upon him. And so to, to be steadfast, to live steadfast, we don't deny the reality of our, our afflictions and our anxieties. We don't like pretend they don't exist. Listen, it's okay to, to have anxieties and have afflictions and realize that life is tough, especially right now there's so many unknowns going on. But we learn to throw, to cast the weight of those concerns upon him. The word cast literally means to throw it. Uh, and so we, we toss the ball to Jesus he can bear the weight of those concerns. And it doesn't even break his stride, okay? Yeah, and, and he wants to do that. He wants to carry the weight of your anxiety. He wants, to, he wants to be so involved in your life that whatever you're going through, you sense him carrying the weight of it. And sometimes in our 
in our in our lack of understanding that truth, or maybe in our arrogance uh, and trying to take care of it ourselves. Uh, but I think it's mostly in just that we think that God is too busy or unconcerned, or we think it's a lack of faith that we're experiencing fear or anxiety. No, it's an opportunity to cast, to learn how to cast those cares to the Lord. And God actually allows difficult times in our lives because we need to learn that skill of casting the concern to the Lord and resting in the fact that he's going to carry the weight of it and we're not going to be overcome by it. Command number three is be vigilant, be sober, be vigilant. And so another commentator, Barnes, uh, says that care... Uh, that is anxiety, so the word care can be translated anxiety, will intoxicate the soul. Ah! Therefore be sober, be self-restrained. Yet at least this freedom from care should lead to any false security. He adds, be vigilant against your adversary. So there's a beautiful balance here going on. Any intoxication, we know, is harmful, it's not wise, it leads to sin. Uh, And and that doesn't mean just drunkenness. Obviously, it means intoxication of of that form. Here, it's being overcome with the cares of this world or the stresses of our day. That can be equally as harmful as being overcome with alcohol or other drugs. Sober means to be in your right mind not under the influence of anything or anyone other than God, right? Intoxication is coming under the influence of drugs or alcohol or whatever. Well, uh, uh, intoxication of our soul can happen when we come under the influence of of the fears uh, in our society or of the threats that people are saying on, on, on the news that you may be listening to or the YouTube channel. There's so many sources of influence that are bombarding us, and we need not be intoxicated by any of those sources, but rather be sober in our right mind so we can respond to those influences in a way that is not under their influence, but responding from the influence of God, from His Word, and from the Spirit. Does that make sense? It's really important to understand that this soberness, this being of right mind, is a way to stand up against the fears and the oppression that we face and to be steadfast. So to be steadfast, we have to be sober and we have to be watchful. We have to be vigilant. Command number four says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. All right. Resisting the devil requires that we understand that behind all of the things we're experiencing, everything that causes us fear or anxiety or trouble, every type of oppression, behind all of that, there's an enemy. Now, it doesn't mean that the enemy actually is possibly, you know, sometimes he's actively involved in causing the problem. But often, it's just a problem, okay? Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, your car is going to break down. Does that make sense? Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you're going to have trouble at work. All right? You're going to, you're going to stub your toe. <laughs> People are going to get mad at you. And so some things are just, just life. 
But as a Christ follower, the enemy is always looking for those opportunities to push at that moment on your soul to make you think uh, God hasn't uh, seen that. God has forgotten you. God's abandoned you. You're hopeless. And so the enemy uses those, those things that just naturally happen to, to, to uh, uh, push against our faith, to try to break our resolve, to break our confidence in our Savior. And then sometimes, actually, the devil is actively involved, especially when it comes to Christ followers. And I've experienced this so many times. I have a gift of discernment. So I can just sense when there's a, there's a spiritual dynamic at work here, especially when things are coordinated and attacking from multiple uh, uh, sources. And I think, you know, often sometimes it's, it's primarily a spiritual issue. There are some things in life that you need to win in the prayer closet. Because just having a, a, a practicing a principle or doing something different isn't going to do it. It's not going to cut it. If, if the primary um, uh, uh, influencer is a demonic influence, a demonic spirit, you need to get in prayer and you need to win the battle in prayer. And understanding <clears throat> that uh, behind the things that we encounter is, a, is an actual entity, a demon and the devil and the powers of the darkness that assault us. There's two mistakes that Christians make uh, when it comes to demonic influences. Uh, one is thinking that he doesn't exist or he's not active in our lives. Like, once you're a Christian, you don't have to worry about that anymore. All the demons went to Haiti or some other third world country. I used to think that for a short time. Then I thought, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> no, they just, they just dress different up here. Okay. Uh, or the second alternative equal mistake is making him the focus of all of our thoughts and activities and just becoming overwhelmed with this fear uh, of demons. And the, the enemy loves it. If you're thinking all the time about demons and demonic activity, he loves that. If you're spending half your prayer praying against demonic stuff, he loves that. The more attention you give him, he loves it. Sometimes rebuking the devil is the worst thing you can do. If, you, if you're doing it for 30 minutes, it's like, what, don't you have faith the first time you did it? God didn't implement it? Yeah, bind the devil in Jesus' name. And release the Holy Spirit and the power of his love and freedom. And, and then talk about and release the good. Does that make sense? Uh, so we don't make him the focus of our thoughts, but we also don't... Uh, we're not ignorant of his devices, it says in another place in the Bible. And James repeats the same idea, uh, tying together humility, therefore submit to God and resist the devil, and what will happen? He'll flee. When you stand up to the enemy, he has no choice. He runs away. He's a scaredy cat. Right? But he, he's a cat. He's a lion. One passage says he is, uh, Jesus knocked his teeth out. And so he's a roaring lion that doesn't have any teeth. You know? He doesn't have any power to hurt. He can just scare. And so we stand up to that, and he runs away. We have to have confidence in that. Uh, we also must understand that 
as Christians, we're enduring something. Whatever we're enduring is common to all Christ followers. Not the details, obviously. The troubles that we face in, in our uh, country are different than the troubles that are faced in other nations, other settings. But the, the, the real problems are the same. Anxiety, fear, uh, uh, you know, uh, discontent, lack, all these things that uh, relational breakdown, you know, uh, you know, concerns about our economic state, all that stuff is normal, just the details vary. We are not uniquely flawed or hopeless. It's one of the most common uh, thoughts that goes through a person's mind is that they must be uniquely flawed in some way or hopeless because they're not experiencing what they perceive other Christ followers are experiencing. But every person feels that at some point. And some people get stuck there. It's just not true. The truth is, and the Bible declares, hey, what you're going through, all the brotherhood, all the Christians, all Christ followers, all worldwide are going through the same thing. And rather than being uniquely flawed or hopeless, you're actually part of a great cloud of witnesses. And they're up there. That refers as a verse from Hebrews. It talks about all the saints that have lived in the past cheering us on. And that when we get to heaven, we will see the reality of that. So to be steadfast, we must resist the devil and know that we're not alone. We're going to close with the final uh, two verses of this passage. It says, But may the God of all grace who has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while. How many like that? How many are glad that's in the Bible? <clears throat> you know when you read those little books, the 101 Promises of the Bible? They usually don't include that one. You're going to suffer for a while. You know why I'm glad that's in the Bible? Because that's the way life is. That's the, this is truth. You're going to go through some hard times. And that doesn't mean you're lacking of faith. That doesn't mean the gospel is not true. That doesn't mean you made a mistake. It doesn't mean you missed it. It means you're in the will of God, fulfilling the word of God. Because this is the word of God. And it comes out of God's grace. And it comes as a... As a, it's a uh, demonstration that we've been called by our Lord Jesus Christ after we've suffered a while to perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you for his glory. And so it requires accepting the grace of God. And if you're here in this room or if you're watching on YouTube or the live stream or whatever uh, podcast, you're, whatever way you're tuning in in these days, if you have not accepted that grace... If you have not responded to the call, you know, the call is an invitation. You get an invitation to something, you know, you have, you have a, a choice, right? You can click no. <laughs> you can click not going. You can click maybe. What's the other one? Yes! So how do you respond to the call of God in Christ Jesus? You need to respond, yes. You need to respond, yes. 
And that's the response that flows out of the grace of God. And that yes means that you commit your life to his lordship, that you believe that he died on the cross as payment for the penalty and the power of sin in your life, and that you can live in the power of his resurrection, and that you believe that Jesus is going to return and and gather us all to live eternally with him in the resurrection. But it means that from this point forward and every morning you need to renew that commitment and click on the yes And maybe 10 or 12 times throughout the day, you need to click on the yes, you're called, and it's out of grace that you're going to follow the Lord Jesus. And that gives you the ability to endure the suffering for a while during the process of being perfected or being made mature, being established or made steadfast, being strengthened and being settled.